and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Ingle. And I'm Jason Heck, and today we're tackling Minute 42, which begins with Lieutenant Gorman telling Hudson to try and get the colony's CPU online and ends with the team cutting through the med lab to get to operations. And we have uh, Sully back again. Paul Francis Sullivan from the Sully Baseball Podcast is with us again today. Thanks for coming back. Um, I, I, you know what? I put time in my schedule for another day with you, and so here I am. Thanks for putting me up. The hotel has been great. Uh, the accommodations have been spectacular. And let's talk ourselves a little alien, shall we? Oh, the Uber budget is sort of eating into our... Uh, well, it's fine. It's fine. You know, you're worth it. Your first appearance was a home run. A home run. Hey, I was... You know, we... we brought up the idea that that I didn't see this in the movie theater. I was 14 when this film came out, and I had not seen Alien, so I really didn't have a desire to see it. The first time I saw it, then I saw Alien. I saw Alien for the first time in 87 on videotape, pan and scan, probably uh, slightly better quality video than what Abraham Zapruder used when he filmed <laughs> the Kennedy assassination. And... Um, and I remember really being taken by Alien, but it was one of those I liked it, but then I realized, hmm, it's four weeks later and I'm still thinking about it. And um, I first saw that. I don't know if this is how James Cameron designed Aliens to be seen, but I was on the football team when I was in high school. And the night before each game, we would all get together at someone's house and we'd have like a like a pizza dinner or something like that as a team. And we'd watch a movie. That would be kind of, you know, like a movie. It would be like an action film. It would be like, you know, it would be um, Predator was one mm-hmm. we watched or Lethal Weapon was one we watched. And one week it was Aliens. And I was the one film nerd in the football team. So I actually wanted to sit down and watch it. And everyone else was just yelling stuff at the screen like it was Mystery Science <laughs> Theater. And the thing that I remembered, because the first third of the film, is kind of slow. It kind of sets up. And um, I remember by the ending of this movie, like the entire football team was just sitting there, leaning forward, mouth open, like a Tex Avery wolf. <laughs> and um, and I, I, I was very frustrated because everyone was talking and everything during the first third. So I couldn't really like, what are they saying? What are they saying? And, um, but... It was so intense that I was like, look, at, I got to watch this alone. But I, the experience, the visceral experience, not even the plot experience, the, the dialogue or anything, but just the, the dynamic visceral experience of watching this film unfold with effects for, in the 1980s, those were state-of-the-art, and I still think they look pretty damn good. And when I watched this film again the other day, I got a flashback to my days on the football team where I was like, yeah, this was the part where I didn't 100% know what Bishop was doing. I didn't 100% why that you know, plane why that plane was here, why this thing blew up. All I knew is I was sitting there watching, I'm watching this thing lay eggs. I'm watching this thing fire, you know, fire in the air and grabbing a little girl and, and a thing coming up from the water. And just what, almost, almost like it was a silent movie. That it was such a visual experience and a visceral experience that it continues to work. You know, it works even if you're not following the plot piece by piece. And I think that's one of the things, one of the genius things about this film and why to this day it's considered. If you Anyone writing a list of the greatest sequels of all time, they're going to list Godfather 2. They're going to list 
Empire Strikes Back. You know, they're going to list Arthur II on the rocks. You know, the, the great ones. <laughs> Can you spare $750 million? Can you spare? The ghost of John Gilgood. You know, we got to get John Gilgood. <laughs> Arthur, <laughs> let me die. And actually, Adrian Biddle, who who was the DP of this, was also the DP of the other great, um, where I think is the most honest sequel of all time, which is uh, City Slickers 2, The Legends of Curly's Gold, which uh, I say is the most honest sequel of all time because... The motivation of all the characters are is not to find themselves in a middle age crisis, but hey, let's make right. more money. We can <laughs> sure. get more money. And the it's like, oh, yeah, the legend of Billy's gold, right? Yeah, the the legend. You know, we can't get Bruno Kirby. Doesn't matter. There's there's gold out there. <laughs> more um, money into Daniel Stern's bloated coffers. Oh, man, look at Daniel. Daniel's got to pay, man. Daniel, if you're going to live Daniel Stern life, you got to fund that life, man. Uh, Between Blue Thunder and the Wonder Years, he's doing just fine. Oh, God, Blue Thunder, that's right. Holy Toledo. All right, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still, but I just was remembering that football party, at, you know, before our football game here in Northern California and, and, um, you know, shoving pizza, shoving round table pizza down our throat while watching this great movie was probably not how he had in mind to, to come out, but, uh, man, it, it worked. That's kind of an awesome memory, though. Like, that's a great way to experience that movie with your friends, and it's indelibly burned into your memory. I mean, so so it was a, a 25-inch screen, and you might have had the occasional tracking trouble, but that's a really good Aliens memory. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Uh, John Engels isn't that good. He was he was Blotto and Capri Sun, mm. and uh, he he barely remembered the movie after the first time he saw yeah. it. Yeah, I, I mean, have you seen it yet? Have, have I seen, seen Aliens? Uh, <laughs> I'm, sl- I'm slogging through it it's one minute at a time right now. I mean, why why watch the whole thing when I could just That's... analyze it one minute at a time? Don't tell him how it ends, Sully. He doesn't need to know that. All right. Don't, don't claw him. There's more in. than one. There's more than one. That's why oh, it's called no. Aliens. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin this one for you, Engel. But Rocky wins this one again. Okay. Oh man. I don't want to ruin it for you. Rocky pulls this one out. Yeah. This this minute we have here is, I mean, you have the you have a great exchange with the the late great Bill Paxton uh, with um with Jeanette Goldstein as Vasquez. Who I'm sure everyone knows was the Irish mother right. in Titanic, amongst other of the roles that she's been in. Uh, the thing that that I like about this is that this scene, which is basically, I mean, it's them walking through a hallway. It's them coming through, you know, Ripley and all of them come through. They're walking through the hallway. They're looking around. She says, "Man, this looks familiar." Everyone else is, you know, there's some POV shots and there's some, you know, they're wandering down here. But what I like about this, but also what scares me about this is that this is like a whole other alien movie we didn't see. There's a whole alien scene here with characters we don't know that this hallway with aliens crashing through here, crashing through there, and we're seeing the remnants of it. And mm-hmm. what scares me is because they can't leave these damn movies alone, is that someone's going to make a movie about the attack that happened here. <laughs> right. And, and that will end with Newt jumping into the little, uh, that they'll have a CGI Newt, like uh. a CGI Grand Moff Tarkin <laughs> in uh, Rogue One. That feels like a in. that feels like a cash grab that Ridley Scott would do, doesn't it? Like yeah, the fall of the fall of Hadley's Hope. That feels like something he would do. Yeah, Ugh. and 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 
because uh, you can, God forbid, you have any sense of mystery about anything. You have to, we have to explain everything going on, and we're going to find out that that one piece of cellophane hanging off of the on the right hand side of the screen at second thirty four meant hope for somebody. If 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 this one piece of cellophane can hold up here, then we will win. Or there'll be yeah. some piece of you know backstory. And I like the fact that we don't know everything. All we know is that obviously, because we had seen Alien that obviously something really horrible just happened. We know and, they're really big and really strong and that there was a pitched battle and giant barricades, like thousands yeah. of pounds of equipment, got busted wide open. Right, right. And you see stuff being flung around. Was it flung around by the alien? Was it flung at at the alien? It just, I love the less is more quality to this. And I also love that there's something about this that I... You do see from films from time to time now. You certainly saw it in Children of Men, which came out about maybe 10, 11 years ago, um, is they trust the audience that, no, there, nothing has to jump out of the wall here. This We're setting up, this is what is in line for you. And that by having scenes like this be either quieter or a little slower, it makes the ending even more exciting. It's a little bit what with Jaws, a little bit what do with Hitchcock. And that is, you know, you don't have to be set up at a hyper-frenetic pace the entire movie. You know, there's, sometimes it pays to just sort of say, we're just going to walk through here with everyone here and assess the damage. And I wonder if now, if they did this, if a damn Rathtar or something would fall from the ceiling or something like that. Well, I mean, we talked about that earlier, John. Uh, John and I talked about it, uh, the, the, the sort of... The, the Marines entry into the colony and they're prowling around, right. And finding abandoned food, right. The donut and the coffee cup and, mm -hmm. and all of that, that wouldn't be in this movie right. today. That, that, that five minutes wouldn't, wouldn't even exist. That and what Cameron does is he takes his time and builds it up and builds up the suspense. And in this scene, it, you have a set that looks a lot like a haunted house. Right, you have yeah. it's trashed. You have this huge hole rent in the steel. You have wind blowing. My God, they even land in the middle of a rainstorm. Right, which which is just it's perfect. It, the whole vibe is very old fashioned haunted house to me. An abandoned building, an abandoned colony. So you have this mystery that's as old as Roanoke, for goodness sakes. And then you add in rain, and you add in destruction and the marines assessing it very professionally right a pone says hey this is from explosives this is from small arms right but what were they fighting and and remember he says it was a last stand hell of a fight and hicks kind of says very somberly yeah looks that way great roanoke reference by the way that's, that's <laughs> a, you dropped a little roanoke on us and if, if someone if they saw croaton carved <laughs> into the side of the 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 metal there then there would have been a little too on the nose it's somewhere on apone's armor i think he's got yeah. it painted on there yeah I, I wanted to talk about the the way the different marines react to this moment where we're getting kind yeah. of it's kind of a cold uh, frost and no pun intended has kind of a cold reaction to it, you know, oh, it looks like a last stand, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah. And then Hicks is is the one with the somber tone, like you said, Jason. He's he's continuing to be the human, the most human of the Marines, right? He's the one that seems to have the most empathy for Ripley. There's multiple little cuts to him reacting to her, where everyone's sort of making fun of her before, but he seems to take her seriously. He's the one that 
you know, points out that this must be one of Ripley's bad guys with the acid, you know, bleeding through the floors as well. So it's nice, you know, we're getting a lot more character from him. I think a, a savvy person watching this movie for the first time, not knowing who anybody is, could probably predict that he's going to he's going to live. You know, he's going to be the one that kind of makes it through. And everyone else is too. There's too much hubris. There's too much um, lack of regard for humanity here. That I think that he stands out, and it's 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 good. It's good character building. It's really subtle. And what it does is it makes it, it it's the difference between. And I said this on the the Rocketeer podcast uh, that I was on because that's another film, a very different film that I really love. Uh, and I think that film and this film does one thing. They they understand one thing, which is critical, is that there's a difference between a character development and backstory. You know, we didn't have a scene where, like, a pawn is sitting next to uh, Hudson, like, you know, Hudson, when I first met you four years ago when we were training, like, like, no, they, they, there's, there's just you, you learn who the characters are, you learn who Frost is, you learn who Drake is, you learn who Gorman and Hudson and all of them are in ways, and and that Hicks are in ways that it, they're not just faceless Marines and they're not just cartoon characters. You actually care. Like when a pawn gets killed, you it it's it's like oh man, like you you feel you know it's gut wrenching, and it's because you've learned who they were, not their entire biography, but you understand the dynamic of the characters and who they are, and and you know Hudson's kind of all talk, but whenever when you know when the shit goes down, you know suddenly he's a big huge coward. You get to see what Hicks is like. You get to see what Drake is like, and all of them, and. And it makes for this is building up the story, but also building up the characters because a film like this could just be a haunted house film or just a bunch of meathead Marines firing machine guns. But the fact that we know who the characters are and we can say who they are and the fact that I refer to him as Hudson, not as Bill Paxton, shows that the, you know, I would say a sign that a film has good characters if you could leave the theater and remember the characters' names. And... You do that with this film, and when they're when the, each of them die, it means something, and so I think that this is setting that up because it becomes a once you know where the monsters jump out or where the explosions are going to be, then there's the rewatchability of an action film relies entirely on the character developments. Why you rewatch Jaws a hundred thousand times, you rewatch Alien or Aliens or Raiders of the Lost Ark or or you know, or, you know, French Connection or any film that you actually know the characters to and a film like Cobra, you don't. <laughs> well, his name was the Night Slasher. I know that. Okay, good, good call. <laughs> but, the, but it's, it's the importance of character development and a sequence like this develops character without very lazy expositional dialogue. And I think that's what one of the things that makes this film great is that it's just and, and and again this is more lean camera. Yeah. And it's it's not just that it's could be weighty expositional dialogue, but that weighty expositional dialogue takes time. And we're we're in a situation here where we want to be breezing through this. We don't I don't mean breeze through it, you know, in a lackadaisical sense. I mean, we got to keep this movie moving. We're already yeah. in this uh it, it's kind of slow moving, you know, suspense building sequence here where they're stalking slowly through this haunted house. 
we don't want to take the time to get to know the characters. Uh, we don't want to take the time to get to know the characters. We want to get to know the characters. So right. being able to have these organic little moments are really is really helpful. And you don't even you know notice it to be honest. I mean, it's there and it sticks, but it's nothing that you really like when you're sitting in the theater watching this movie for the first time. You're not going like, hey, that's cool how Hicks said that that way. You know, it's great. It's perfect for this kind of movie making. Well, and using another using another film that we've all seen. I'm like. One of the reasons why the Death Star battle in Star Wars, and I do not call it a new hope, one of the reasons why the Death Star battle in Star Wars works better than any of the other space battles is because we get to know the pilots. Right. The, 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 you know, the, the, in all the other ones, whether Force Awakens or Rogue, you know, the only time I perked up in Rogue One is when, hey, it's Gold Leader and Red Leader are back. That's cool. Ditto, yeah. You know, because you, you knew them. You got to meet them. And, 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 and it doesn't, and there, it isn't because of exposition. It's because you get to understand their personalities and the dynamic of the characters. And I think that that's one of the things that really makes this a great sequel. And it's the thing that made the first one great too. Was we took time at the beginning to learn about, you know, to learn about Harry Dean Stanton and and Yaffa Cotto and 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 Tom Skerritt and Ian Holm and and. Veronica Cartwright, the entire cast we got to meet and interact with. And so, you know, when you're there with, with when the thing explodes through John Hurt's chest, it's not, he's just not this faceless person. It's like, we've gotten to know him. And that is what, that's so critical in this and, and, and increases the rewatchability. And damn it, the other alien films that I've seen, I don't have that same reaction to, which is why I can't. I can't fathom a situation where I said, "Hey, uh, honey, why don't we uh, sit on the couch and bust open some Hagen Dazs and watch Alien Three? You know, I actually think there are a couple of decent characters in Alien Three. Of course, we have our our main character Ripley. We already know very well, so that's an established thing that they're they're kind of handed. The filmmakers were handed when they made Alien Three. There's a couple of decent characters in there. In that particular case, to me, it's about the just slog of a world they're in. It just doesn't, it's like, oh, you can be a great character all you want. You need to develop the world around them as well. So it's a given, it's, it goes both ways, but yeah, I, you're right. Like in this case, in the, the case of alien and aliens, they're both perfectly balanced. Like we get excellent world building. We understand the rules of everything and we get all the characters. Um, we understand all of the characters and again, like you said, Sully, the rewatchability then is there because we like to hang out with these people and yeah, and we mourn their deaths when they come. So it's yeah, it's great. It's good filmmaking. Well, you were talking about the Marines' reactions. What do we get from our, our two hard cases, Hudson and Vasquez? When Gorman says, "Hey, we're coming in. I feel safer already," and she calls him a jerk off. And well, and, what? and just a point of detail: Hudson, the coward that we're going to find out is the coward, covers his microphone. And makes his remark. Vasquez doesn't give a shit. She just says, <laughs> she calls him a stupid, you know, a, a stupid pendejo or a pendejo jerk off, like right on the mic. So I, I think that's a good another good character moment. Vasquez isn't going to give a shit what what Gorman thinks about what she said, or she probably assumes he won't understand what she said. So. And and then we have Drake, the hardest of hard cases, one of the smart gunners who meets the lieutenant, 
And and guess what? He's a respectful Marine. He says, sir, sir. And he gives him the whole update and the, the very quick sketch in about what they think happened. But we get this differing behavior, right? We see to his face, they can be very respectful and very professional. And when he's not around, they are making fun of him, which once again, completely undercuts Gorman's authority. We know we are now that, that he is a callow, brand new guy. And worse than that, the Marines know it. And they really, really, really don't like that at all. But they can be pros with him when they have to. And Drake shows us that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to, I, t- I kind of teased it in the last minute. And I want to talk about Ripley here as well. And the performance Sigourney Weaver's giving in this particular scene. Uh, as soon as they enter into this, th- this destroyed little area that they walk into, she's pretty immediately bugged out, right? Yeah. Wide-eyed, definitely very nervous, very understandably so. She's for the first time she's actually stepping onto ground, you know, that had an alien on it, you know, since for the first time in fifty-seven years. And I think it's interesting, you know, it's kind of going to be a through line through this week and maybe a little bit into next week. That again, we're still not with we're, we're still not with the Ripley. We know she's she's very nervous. This is not what we were used to seeing from Alien from the version we saw in Alien. And uh, I think the question is going to be as the week goes on, like how much more of this can we take of Ripley, right? Like as far as how the character is being portrayed in the movie, like they're pushing it, you know, we're 42 minutes into the movie. They're starting to kind of push it. Like we're, we're going to need Ripley soon. Right. And it's going to be a question of whether we think that it goes a little too far or if that's perfectly like a pitch perfect point where she finally reemerges again. But I just want to throw that. That's more of a seed for later episodes again, but we definitely are getting this really pretty bugged out Ripley here. It's, it's a little disconcerting. It's PTSD Ripley, right? She's now out of the safety of the APC and she's in a place that has been completely shredded by multiple examples of the one thing that ate her entire crew in 24 hours. So I, I think her performance here is just perfect. Like yeah. she's, she's you, I mean, what you're not seeing is terror. What you're seeing is keep it together, keep it together, keep it yep. together. I'm going to say this performance is as good as Marley Matlin's in Children of a Lesser God. And that that is the third Children of a Lesser God reference we've had in the podcast. <laughs> I'm not at all surprised that, and four rollerball references. So really, it's it's been one hell of a ride so far in the Aliens Minute. I mean, I've always I've always been a, a a bit of an Oscar addict, and this was around the time I was really starting to try to watch all the Best Picture nominees. And I remember when the the Oscars were announced, I knew Aliens came out. A lot of people liked and saw it. Didn't really interest me because I didn't see Alien yet. Um, although I was reading Cinefix, so I saw all the stuff about it. Um, and then they announced the Best Actress nominations, and Sigourney Weaver was nominated for Aliens. I remember that's one of the first moments I thought, like, huh, that's interesting. They usually don't nominate science fiction films for Academy Awards, except for like visual effects and art direction and sound and editing and things like that. So that I wonder if there's more to this movie than simply aliens jumping out and eating people. As a kid, I can remember watching the Oscars and her clip, you know, they always, you know, they'll introduce him and they'll show the clip and it was her, you know, lit in red, giving the speech to Newt about, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. And I remember watching that and thinking, wow, that's really cool. And then I remember watching her not win and thinking, wow, the Academy hates genre films. But that was, that stuck in my head because I was so excited about, you know, in 
when I was 12, I was excited about a best picture possibility being a sci-fi movie with machine yeah. guns. And it, and it yeah. says a lot about Jason that at 12, he was already aware that the Oscar Oscars hated genre. Films. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. It was pretty clear. It was pretty clear. <laughs> yes. uh, after, after they took a dump on silent running, I, I just knew. I just knew. <laughs> All right, that's that's it for me in this minute, which has been an awesome and suspenseful minute so far. Yeah. Not the least because you never know what Sully's going to do. Well, I, I just look at. I'm convinced that it's going to be okay. They're going to go to this room. <laughs> all the people will be fine, and there'll be surprise. There'll be streamers. There'll be a cake. It's, and uh, that's what I think. That's that's what I think uh, is going to happen. They're going to meet Newt's parents and see that citizenship award, and it's just going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, and you what? They're also going to see. There's going to be. Uh, uh, Tom Skerritt and Ian Holm and, and Will will be there too. <laughs> the birthday cake that's made up of Ash's head. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted this birthday to be a perfect occasion. You still don't understand how important this birthday is, do you? No, Ash, just someone unplug him. Just unplug him. Blow, blow out the candles and unplug him. Control, alt, delete. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I'm stoked. I'm stoked for our next minute. I, I'll, I'll be back tomorrow, I hope. Let me see if I can pull it off. Uh, I'm going I'm to check my calendar. But if I can, uh, if you want to follow me, because you know, if you're a baseball fan listening to Alien Minute, then uh, I'm the guy for you. Uh, go just follow me on Sully Baseball on Twitter. And you'll if you follow me on Twitter, eventually you'll figure out what I'm doing. And you can find us, of course, at AlienMinute.com or on uh, Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast, Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. Come over to the, our Facebook page. We always have lively discussions over there. Um, you can also come to Tee Public, grab one of our T-shirt designs. And just a reminder that we do have a virtual tip jar. If you can drop a buck or two in there, it'd help me pay the bills. That would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, Sully, Sully keeps destroying hotel room furniture. And so anything you can throw in the tip jar is much appreciated by the folks at the Hampton Inn. And anyway, I, I, I don't want to tell any. I, I don't want to tell people the story about the fish. We're just going oh, to leave that out. Um, so right. long, and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> let's, just, let's just say the Ocean of Life Aquarium is also filing suit against the podcast for any number of reasons. Though so we still can't find the squid. We still can't find the squid. So, hey, uh, do you want some calamari? By the way, I have some delicious uh, calamari. Uh, here. God, God, we urge our listeners not to put two and two together. We urge you not to put two Please in don't. Together. Please don't. That's, okay. It's been a terrible conclusion to a great minute. <laughs> All right, folks. We'll see you tomorrow for a minute. 43-43. Th- yes, that's it. Goodbye. <laughs>